0: Welcome to the Agents of Innovation Podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation Podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for coming back on episode 58 We've had a really great run, and it's been four years now since we started the Agents of Innovation podcast. Can you believe it? And since it's been four years, and this is our four-year anniversary, we're having on Isaac Morehouse, who started it all at Episode 1. So we're going to have Isaac on in just a few minutes, but I just want to thank you again. And by now, you probably know to go to the agentsofinnovation.org website That's where all the blog posts on all the episodes are placed. It's also where you can find all the links to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, also our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Hope you're following on all those platforms because we are using those platforms to keep you apprised of all the guests. And you've probably seen Isaac Morehouse on there a lot, We, uh, particularly on Twitter and stuff. I retweet him all the time uh, because he's got a lot of great insights uh, for entrepreneurs and also we like to just keep up with what our guests are doing and showcase their success as they continue to build or even move on to new ventures. So thank you again for visiting agentsofinnovation.org and tuning in on all those platforms wherever you're listening to the podcast. I hope you're subscribed. Uh, please continue to subscribe friends. That's how we're building this and also if you haven't written a review yet, please go and write a review or you could even just review a new episode. And we really appreciate that as I'm trying to get to 50 reviews by the end of 2019. And we're right there about halfway there. So thanks so much for tuning into the agents of innovation podcast. You heard on episode 57, our great interview with musician, Matt Brown, who is from uh, Washougal, Washington, but now making his home in Nashville, Tennessee, as many of the musicians who have come on the agents of innovation podcast seem to seem to be or end up. Um, Matt, Last episode, we played one of his songs, Warm Like Whiskey. And today we're going to play his song, Building a Dream, which will close this podcast. And Isaac Morehouse has been building a lot of dreams for a lot of people. So I thought that would be very emblematic to hear a song by Matt Brown called Building a Dream. So thanks so much for listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast. And here we go. Episode 58. Well, I want to welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast, my friend Isaac Morehouse coming to us from Charleston, South Carolina. Isaac, welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Francisco. It feels like only yesterday we were doing episode one of your brand new podcast.
0: Yes, and uh, for those, you know, maybe you haven't listened to all 57 episodes before this. Um, but the episode number one was with Isaac Morehouse, and Isaac was also, as I told listeners on that episode, uh, he was also somebody I went to and said, "Hey, Isaac, what do you think about me doing a podcast?" And you were like, "You should totally do it." Um, so you, you know, you were someone I bounce some some ideas off of. And you're always a good person to bounce ideas off of, and and we're gonna learn more about why because you're always you got so many things you're involved with. And uh, and now, so you are you've been the CEO of Praxis, which we had you on to talk about, and and now you're launching a new company called Crash. So I'm really excited to hear about this, and this all involves you know everything from higher education to uh, career building. So let's uh, can you just revisit and tell us, uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about Praxis, and then what your role is there now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So 2013, in uh, February, March, somewhere around there, I I had this crazy idea that uh, the way people go about, you know, going through college, and then hoping that that helps them in their career, uh, you know, buying buying this expensive degree, and then, you know, trying to transition into the workforce, it just felt incredibly inefficient. And I had this crazy idea, like, what if we could do the whole shebang, you could learn everything, that you need to know to get that first real professional job in a year or less for $0. That was the idea. And so we built this program. And it's a six-month boot camp, which is all done online, where you're learning a lot of basic professional skills, um, figuring out what kind of roles might be a good fit for you to start your career, and putting together a lot of uh, you know projects and things to help you learn and to help you demonstrate those skills. And then the second six months, you're placed with a startup and you apprentice full-time and you're getting paid during that apprenticeship. Um, And at the end of, uh, and you're continuing to get ongoing coaching and community support and things like that through the Praxis program. And at the end of the program, pretty much everybody, it's like 95% right now, 96% of graduates get hired full-time and you know what they pay in tuition they earn back during the apprenticeship so it's a net cost of zero they're walking away with a whole bunch of skills a network six months of experience in an apprenticeship and a full-time job most of the time and so we we built that thing from from nothing the first class had just six people in it you know, to where now, fast forward to, to the present, where we're launching every single month, a new class launches with 10, 15 people. We put a hundred and some people through the program last year. There's been over 250 total and we're continuing to grow. And so over the course of, you know, five years, um, you know, really built this thing into something real. And from a very, very small niche thing to something that is fast growing and it works and we've got it dialed in. We've got a system, you know, we've built the team to, you know, we got 15 people. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I get the itch sometimes, Francisco, that's the problem with once you kind of start down the entrepreneurial path, (laughs) you sort of keep, you keep having ideas all the time and you want to do a lot of stuff. And so, about a year or so ago it's like okay we've got this program dialed in but it's a it's a high intensity program it's a pretty co- you know high commitment experience and the idea was and I won't go into it now we can get into it more later if you want to but what can we do what can we take from this year long thing where we've learned how to get young people most of whom have no college degree and no previous experience from zero to an awesome job at like a startup doing really cool stuff in the course of a year how can we how can we reverse engineer that into some small subset, some set of tools or mindsets from that that we can pull out and offer to the world so we can reach millions of people instead of hundreds or thousands? And you know, take some of the core components that we've learned from praxis and create some kind of products. That allow people to launch their careers much better and much faster without as much of a high intensity year long experience, and so that was kind of the genesis of crash And get into more about what that is, but so today, starting you know maybe four or five months ago, as we were kind of figuring out how to how to do this, we figured there's something here that's different enough where we need to kind of have separate focus, and so we split off uh, four of us at the time from the Praxis team. Um, sort of split off into our own little Skunk Works team to work on this crash product that is just about to begin to enter the market. Um, and meanwhile, TK Coleman, our education director, and uh, our, our operations director, Sarah Morrison, are kind of taking the helm at Praxis and continuing to, to grow and move that program forward. So I've been 100%, almost 100%, 95% focused on crash for the last several months um well uh well my baby well praxis is uh is growing and kind of being led um by some of the other people over there on the team
0: No that's fantastic. Um and yeah I've been seeing you grow and and hearing a lot of people talk about about praxis and and also uh, seeing a lot of the young people that come through your program, like get these great jobs that you're talking about, and so. Uh, and by the way, these are. I know you, I follow you guys and see some of the videos and some of the young people you uh, you spotlight. And man, these are just some exceptionally bright uh, uh, young people who are coming through, and they didn't go and get that college degree. And you know, recently, just a few episodes back, I had uh, Michael Gibson on. <laughs> this this, uh, podcast to talk about the 1517 Fund and what they're doing there uh, to basically help young entrepreneurs and they're investing, sort of like the Teal Fellowship was giving grants uh, to young people who didn't go to college but wanted to start a business. Uh, Instead of just giving grants, they're investing, the 1517 Fund is investing. But one of the things um, Michael had on his LinkedIn profile, and we sort of titled this for the episode, was he said he wanted to light the paper belt on fire um and he talked about how everything is about getting a credential you know and 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 we've lived in a credentialed society for so long whether that's your diploma whether that's uh you know the the news network you get your news from you know whatever whatever it is um and now this there's being a lot of disruption a lot of it is due to technology and the internet and all that but also um you know you have a changing nature of things and you know, so I had Michael on and I heard him talk about lighting this paper belt on fire The you know, taking away this credentialing process, the sort of the sort of uh, folks that decide who gets a credential and how much has to be paid for it could be the the taxi uh, medallion credential. Right. And now we've got Uber. Right. So uh, and then I mean, literally weeks after I had him on this college cheating scandal happens <laughs> and I was like. I mean, just, just everything just connected right there. And I said, well, here you've got uh, these multi-millionaires, uh, some of them Hollywood celebrities, literally paying millions of dollars just so their kid can get into, like, a top school, some kind of elite school in their mind, so they can tap into the elite networks. And then uh, some even paid for their kid to be on, like, the team, like the athletic teams, or they couldn't even, they weren't even good enough. They were just on the team. Hey, here's, you know, my daughter, she's on the rowing team um, at whatever college, right? So I just, this was baffling to me, but then also seeing that. So there is this idea, this old idea of the credential that's, that's actually passing away, but it's still solid enough for somebody today in 2019 to be paying millions of dollars just for their kid to get, to go to the school so you guys are kind of i think in the same uh you know world uh viewpoint if you will of of saying know, we're we're, we're we're debunking that credential that you don't need that and we're so praxis was an uh an opportunity for young people to to say you know what we don't i mean not only am i not paying millions of dollars so my kid can go there I, i'm uh, i'm actually not even going to pay the tuition or anything and we're just going to Go around that and, and and make our career and build our career somewhere else. And now you're adding another element to this, helping probably anybody whether they went through a practice program or not. Maybe they're 30 years old right now, and they want to launch their career um, with your platform, Crash. So tell us a little bit about that, and and uh, tell us a little more about what what it means to uh, to sort of be your own credential. As I I think you're 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 highlighting here with crash
1: yeah absolutely and that is the phrase that we love to use be your own credential so i'm gonna i'm gonna give a little backdrop but building off of what you mentioned with the, the college admissions scandal to help kind of describe the world the landscape today as i see it and then then the idea of being your own credential will make more sense in light of that so it's it's easy to sort of laugh at the celebrities or pity them or whatever it might be but I actually think what you see there with these celebrities paying millions of dollars to get their kids in these schools, that's, it's no different for non-celebrities. What, what's happening? What's the main driving force there? It's not actually that these celebrities are worried about their kids' ability to get a job. Because if you've got millions of dollars and you have a lot of connections in Hollywood and whatever, like there's more that you can do for your child's career prospects in your, just with your industry connections and resources than they'll ever get with a degree that they go and get. So it's it's not actually this idea that you're going to college because it will help you get a job. A lot of people still say that. A lot of people still believe that. But I don't think that's actually the driving force. I think it's the same thing that we saw with the celebrities. Why would they possibly do this if their kid's not in danger of being unemployed, really? They, they can do a lot to help them there. It's a social status signal. It's not even an employability signal at this point because it's a very weak employability signal. Everybody has a degree. No one's going to pay you a paycheck just because you have one. But parents feel this tremendous pressure to be able to say, I did a good job as a parent. My kid is, is on the road to success. And the way to signal that is that they went to school, whatever the best school that is that they can get into. And I think that's what most parents are in. Not all have the money to pay millions of dollars to try to get them bribed into some elite school, but they go about it in many different ways. But it's fundamentally it's it's seeking this prestige symbol. It's it's become a social religion where people are not actually thinking about it rationally and analyzing how much am I gonna spend in time and money and foregone opportunity to get this credential and what percent will this credential increase my odds of employability or my income no one is really breaking it down and thinking about it that way they're not treating it like they would another very large expense like buying a house or a car taking out a loan for something like that because it's viewed as like you're just gonna be a loser if you don't do it it's like a social stigma more than anything and i think understanding that is the first step in kind of stepping back and breaking free and saying, do I care? Do I care enough about the social status game to potentially go into debt for my whole life? Now, if you do, or if you have other reasons to go, I'm not judging that. But I think once you separate the employ- the, the, the story that this is about increasing your odds of employment is not really true unless you're going into a, a field that legally requires a degree, because, and nobody really asks, like what is required to get a job in marketing at a company like this? No one really knows. They just sort of assume they need a degree to do it um, and they go, do, <laughs> they go get the degree. Because if you do that, everybody will be happy with you and be proud of you. And if you're willing to step back and say, I want to think about me, my own goals, my own career, what really is the value of that credential? And the way to determine the value is to compare it to the next best alternative. And that's where things really get fun. And that's where we're all about this concept of, look, what you need is a way to prove your value on the marketplace. So you can go buy a credential that says BA in communications. How much is that going to prove about your value? It shows very little. It signals something, but it's a pretty weak something. And a lot of people have it. And you're going to be in a big sea of noise. A lot of resumes look the same. Or you can go be your own credential. You can say, okay, what if I build a few skills and I find a way to prove those skills? I build a profile of skills to showcase what I can do. And and, and our our sort of three-step process is build a profile of skills, find a company that you actually like and care about, and create a tailored pitch just for them. If you do that 10 times, your odds of launching into a career, getting a good job are dramatically greater than if you apply a hundred times with a generic resume to a hundred different companies. And so that's what we're, we're trying to focus on with this be your credential idea. It's like, take the things that you're capable of doing and find a way to prove them beyond just saying, I studied this. Can you show me? I built this. Here's a project. Here's a, a video of me walking through how I use, you know, Salesforce to do X, Y, and Z to prove something tangible. Hey, I made this for you um, instead of, hey, you should like me. You know, here's my GPA. And so that's kind of the, the idea, the, the, the driving philosophy. And Crash, we're trying to just make this really, really simple. We're trying to say, we want to make it easy for you. So we're starting with a simple skills profile where you can build a beautiful profile that showcases some of your abilities, the technology you know how to use in a way that's much more robust than just a static list, a static resume, through projects, through tangible demonstration, short elevator pitch video of you describing yourself, the ability to tailor projects for specific roles at specific companies so that when they encounter you, it's not a generic resume, but it's something unique you made for them. So it's kind of a series of tools that we're gonna be rolling out to help people you know, be their own credential and, and do something that, and by the way, this is, a, is an amazing opportunity because you can do in, in 10 hours of, of solid work, you can do something that makes you more marketable on the job market than spending five years in a university. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating with that.
0: Well, that's uh that's fantastic. So, you know, um, with all that, um, there's still, you know, um, those who have connections, right. Uh, those who have built networks, whether that's through the alums of their elite school, or whether that is just, uh, you know, somebody with wealthy parents like some of these Hollywood celebrities, So they don't really need so so I, I guess whether they have a degree or not, right? as their as their kids are entering the job market, Um, they still may have a leg up in terms of connections, in terms of, hey, um, like, I'm just going to give you an example. Uh, Mm -hmm. As this college cheating scandal, uh, the admission scandal was happening, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he just kind of brought it up. And he said, you know, this isn't really a surprise. He said, you know, I remember when I was getting out of college, probably about 10 years ago. And he said, um, you know, I was trying to get a job in D.C. He was trying to get a political job, right? So something uh, on Capitol Hill, just working for a congressman or something. And he said, but you know, I started looking around and I was, I mean, I had all this experience and I had all these things. And yet I noticed that most of the young people there that were in these $30,000 a year jobs in D.C., which like doesn't get you very far in D.C. And a lot of these kids have to sort of shack up with five or eight roommates cause <laughs> just to afford to be there. Um, and uh and he said, "You know, I just noticed that all the people there—they were like kids of donors. They were kids of well-connected people, and like it wasn't there. They weren't there because they were. And and look, maybe this is maybe this is a different uh, area because it's politics, and that maybe that's a little different. But but I could still see this happening in the business world, right? Where people are landing in some of these places because you know, dad's friends with their dad, you know, or whatever." Um, and and the kids aren't like I mean you know they're not idiots I mean obviously you're not going to last long if you're you're not but you know they, they sort of can skate by and 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 do, and do sort of these uh sort of these types of jobs so what would you say uh, to something like that in terms of these folks still have a lot of the inside track and in some of these connections through their networks or or people they know versus somebody out there who doesn't necessarily have the network they don't necessarily have you know wealthy parents or anything like that maybe they're even coming from a low income background um how would how would they be able to util- utilize some of these networks and platforms to be able to uh to kind of make their way
1: yeah no, that's a great question so any anywhere you are it doesn't matter if it's political you know getting into a school jobs there's everybody has advantages and disadvantages and and if you sort of break it down and say okay the person making the hiring decision what they're trying to do is get the highest return for the lowest cost. Now, cost involves a lot of things. It's not just money and how much you pay. It involves the time it takes to sort through applications. It involves, you know, um, really, it ultimately involves who who's being passed up in order to get this one person in. It may involve, okay, well, if I hire this person, they might not be the best at the job. But their, you know, their father is one of our big vendors. And so it will make him happy. And so that will actually cost me less, right? There's a lot of things in that equation. And so you've got to focus on the parts that you can control. And what you can control is how much value do you create for that person? And can, can you raise the value you create for them? And can you lower the cost to them of giving you a chance? And if you think about those two variables, you're on the job market, how can I first just get it with getting an interview? How can I lower the cost to somebody of wanting to give me an interview? And how can I increase you know, the upside for them, the benefit that they get? And so when you think of it that way, I think a dating market analogy is really, is really useful, right? Because there are all kinds of people on the dating market that may be more attractive than you or have more money or have parents who are connected and all that stuff. But what do you what do you want to do? You want to if you want to get a date with somebody, you want to show interest in them, right? You don't go and hand them a piece of paper that says, here are the reasons, 10 reasons I'm highly dateable. Give me a call, right? But that's how most people approach the job market. They're like, here's my resume. Here's the things I've done. I hope they're good enough compared to everyone else. Instead, you want to go and say, Hey, let me tell you why I'm fascinated by you. Wow. You are really interesting. I love this about you. Would love to go on a date and get to know you more. And you've made it like, oh my goodness, it's flattering, right? And you've you've made me want to go on that date with you because you're interested in me. And I think people often miss that part. It's a very small part. But if you approach the job market in this way, if you look at companies, hiring managers, and you actually take the time to research and understand what the company does and be genuinely interested in it, and instead of sending them, dear sir or madam, here are my qualifications, call me which is a very high cost to them to try to figure out whether it's worth calling you and they have no idea if it's going to pay off and it's how everybody else comes across. If instead you are so good, they can't ignore you you are so undeniably interesting and interested in them. And you send them a little video. Hey, Francisco, I love Agents of Innovation. I've been following it since it started in 2014. I've listened to every episode. I created this new logo for you. If you don't like it, fine. But if so, you can use it. And I would love to go on and create a Facebook page for the podcast. And here's what I would do in my first 30 days. Give me a call if you want to talk about and, you know, me possibly interning for you. Now, that's really hard to say no to. Even if you don't end up hiring them, you're going to want to talk to them. Or another way to lower the cost is to say, hey, I did this for you to show you what I can do. And to prove my worth, I will work for free for the first 30 days. Now you've lowered the cost, you've lowered the risk. And if you can do that and get a chance to show your stuff, then I think you're going to stand up. It's going to be very hard for that person to to turn away a totally awesome, impressive employee in order to hire some insider, and they can't if they do that for very long, they'll, they'll lose out to their competitors. But so, if all else is equal, if it's hard to distinguish you from everyone else, then yeah, the person whose you know parents I happen to be friends with has an advantage over you. But if you show me you're interested in me, and you do something, and you lower the cost to me, and you lower the risk to me, in some of those ways by doing some work ahead of time, etc., you can absolutely compete um, you will actually blow the competition away. I mean, it's, it's amazing how low the bar is. People are are not very good at <laughs> going on the job market and, and thinking this way. So if you do, you'll have a tremendous advantage.
0: Well, that is a uh, fantastic advice and I hope, uh, others listening will, uh, will consider it and, uh, and, and take that route. Um, also I noticed, so crash, uh, the website looks like crash.co, right? Yep, and you, people can come there, and it looks like they can build and showcase their unique skill set uh, for maybe would be employers. Is am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's that's the first thing that we're releasing out the door um, right now. You can sign up for early access. It should be available in May to the public um, to be able. Anybody can go and set up a profile to get started.
0: Well, that's great, and um, and as they're doing that, um, you know. What I know that you're um about to release a book that's gonna maybe talk a little bit more. What's the name of the book?
1: Crash your career?
0: Crash your career. and are you helping people to build their career or crash their career? What's going on here?
1: yeah, so we're we're <laughs> we're, a little, we're getting a little risky with the the terminology. So the idea is like crash the party, right? like instead of waiting in line and following the dress code and hoping that your name's on the guest list and the bouncer doesn't throw you out. You just crash the party, you come in the side door, and you do it your own way. And it's kind of bypassing the gatekeepers and the sort of permission-based credentialist process of going on to the market and instead saying, hey, I'm gonna do it my own way. I'm gonna be my own credential and I'm gonna find my way to opportunity. So we're using the language crash, not as in crash and burn.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I was, I was concerned, uh, you, you know, but, but, but also, yeah. So these are more like the wedding crashers or the career exactly, crashers, you know? Yep. Okay. So just coming in through the side door, kind of pissing <laughs> everybody off uh, that's over here that yeah, got invited.
1: Everybody, everybody <laughs> wants to hang out with the guy, the party crashers, you know, they're more fun.
0: Right. Right. So, um, so tell me some examples of, Of people uh have you have you helped people do this yet is this something new uh, of of, or, or maybe some of the kids that came through praxis uh tell me some examples of of what crashing your career
1: yeah absolutely and and there's examples from both so crash being so new we've got a handful of very early users um sort of beta users that we're working with right now and actually just yesterday somebody um landed a job at amazon um, using, uh, using a crash profile and using this process. So that was pretty so, cool. So in the beta um,
0: process, who's, uh, I mean, how are, how are they doing this? Are they, is it just, it's building a platform and then uh, no, no one's, there, is, is Amazon, is someone from Amazon looking at your website or is it, or is it them being very proactive in sending them their profile?
1: Yeah. So, so right now, and and we're, you know, we're building out a network of employers as we go. That's sort of a few steps down the road. But right now it's more of a, we're going to give you the tools, say here, here's this skills profile that will demonstrate your ability in a way that's more robust than, than a profile or than a resume rather. And we're giving you some guidance on like how to do it. Okay. How do you build a project that actually showcases your skills? What kind of skills are going to be valuable Given your personality type and interests? Maybe you'd be a good fit for sales roles. I know you would, Francisco. Uh, What are some skills that are valued in sales roles? What are a couple pieces of technology you should know how to use? And we're kind of giving a little guidance so that you can build a profile that's robust and that stands out um, and giving you sort of a playbook on how to go about. And that's what Crash Your Career, this little pocketbook we're coming out with, is all about. It's kind of giving you a, a little playbook on here's how to go about it. Here's how to identify. Companies, how to figure out what sort of skills they want to see. And so we're kind of giving people the tools and letting them have at it. Um, and it's been pretty amazing to see some of the results. So I've got one of my favorite stories, and this is from somebody. She went through Praxis, and so she kind of learned the mindset through the Praxis program, but this was after she had left the program and she was going to, uh, she wanted to get a full time job with this marketing company. And she spent a lot of time getting to know a lot about the company by following them online, learning about the, the the CEO. She knew a couple employees who worked there, so she'd ask them a lot about it to understand as much as she could. She tried to learn. They did a lot of Facebook ads for clients, so she tried to learn as much as she could on her own about Facebook ads and things. And she found out, um, because he came on my podcast and did an interview, I think it was there somewhere, that the founder talked about how much he loved Chipotle. And so... She did she did something pretty cool so she put together relevant skills and had those and she had a delivery company cuz she lived in a different city like a DoorDash or something deliver a Chipotle burrito to his house in a box and when he opened it, it said hey here's a burrito for you with extra guacamole check your email i've got a pitch i would love to create value for your company and um he checked his email and she had a here's some an example of some work i've done with this facebook ad campaign i ran to prove that i can do the job i would like to work for you for free for 30 days you can check out my profile here and see all the things i've done and created and you know my blog posts etc um and so he gave her the 30-day free trial and she got hired on full-time and is working there to this day and i love that story because it kind of combines a lot of things it's it's one thing to figure out that I've got to get some attention by showing that I care and that I've done some research and I'm interested in this company. And and a very great, interesting, out of the box way to get attention is to send somebody a burrito. But that's It'll not enough. For me. He would have gotten a burrito and then went and looked her up, and like she had like a weak email that didn't pitch him anything specific. I had no way to prove skills. It'd be like, okay, well, you sent me a burrito. That's creative, but I don't know if you can do the job. And vice versa, if you've got the skills necessary but you have no way to get anybody's attention or give them a reason to give you the time of day, you're, you're going to be, you know, also in trouble. And so the combination of getting the relevant skills, finding some kind of project to demonstrate it, and then finding a way to go pitch that person and talk to them like an individual. So they don't feel like they're being blasted resumes with just a copy and paste, you know, insert company name here but something that took a little time and a little effort in the very least you're going to feel too guilty to not give that person a response of some kind to not at least give them a shot or give them an interview because they took all this time and i think that's a really fun example now i have to add one thing about that story because it sounds all (laughs) right roses and (laughs) wonderful it actually wasn't quite that simple. When the burrito, when the guy arrived delivering the burrito box, the uh, the company owner was away and his wife was home, and she had like just seen some news story about some like somebody dropping off a bomb at some office, and oh, she no. freaked out and called her husband. She's like, "I'm hiding in the back. Somebody is out front. They put a box on our porch. I don't know what it is. I think I should call the police." A tin foil wrapper. <laughs> he's rapper. like, "Don't call the police." And he came home and he said, "When he noticed that it was a Chipotle box." He thought there's a 50-50 chance it's a burrito or a bomb, but he was willing to take that chance for a burrito, so it all turned out okay.
0: Well, a burrito with extra guacamole would work for me, so.
1: (laughs) It's the small thing sometimes, you know?
0: Yeah, now I understand that, uh, you know, someone thought it was a bomb or whatever, (laughs) but, uh, you know. Who, who knew a little thing in a tinfoil wrapper might be mistaken for a you're
1: You're not going to get it right every time, but taking the approach of rather than kind of, let me check all the boxes, have a resume that's formatted that lists education and GPA, and then just blast it out everywhere and then kind of wait and leave it to fate and hope that somebody calls me back. Instead, of just saying, okay, I'm going to take it into my own hands. Let me find a couple places I'm interested in. What would make them interested in me? What would lower the cost to them of giving me a shot, of at least giving me an interview? Can I come in and say, hey, can I just watch you work for a day and shadow you? Because I want to learn about what you do. You know, what do you do in a content marketing role or whatever it might be? Um, you know, I'm fascinated by this. Show some interest. Like that's, that's how you build those connections. Even if you don't get those jobs, people might be impressed enough to say, hey, I've got somebody else who's hiring maybe you could go go do something for them
0: so let me ask you something um are you familiar with upwork Upwork upwork.com
1: yeah somewhat yeah so
0: um recently uh maybe five or six episodes ago i started using upwork.com uh for the audio engineer um for this podcast and it has uh really expedited uh the speed of putting these um episodes up because before i was in garage band and i was putting the sound files together i mean it wasn't super complicated but you know i'm also that's just not my what i do right that's just not (laughs) that's just something i had to learn to do to do and it you know it's it's a little time consuming also uh by hiring an audio engineer who's like that's their job that's what they're professional at uh it's what you know they also have better equipment than me so they're able to take uh, when I'm interviewing somebody else, especially like you right now, when you're you're in a different uh, state, and you know you may have a different microphone set up and the sounds probably fine, but it's not perfect quality. So that person is able to take that and make it where it's almost seamless between the two of us, and then take you know the other little files I have. I you know we play a song at the end of the podcast and a couple little sound files, um, and just, anyway, they just do all that. They take all that off me, and it's like fifteen dollars per episode. And by the way, if the person that will go, you know, that that I hire doesn't want to do it for fifteen dollars an episode anymore, or just has moved on, and is doing something else. There's like hundreds of other people just waiting yeah. to be hired, and so you. It's a really cool thing. And someone told me about it, and so that's just one thing. And people are waiting with all sorts of technical skills to be paired up with people that need those skills um, for what was to me, I think, pretty low cost, uh, especially for uh, the time that it was taking. So. Uh, That's out there, and it's really great to see that. So, how would I don't you you you, I don't know if you have experience uh, specifically with Upwork.com, but based with that concept I just talked about, uh, how is what you're creating uh, different, or maybe there's even some similarities between what uh, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's awesome to see like what's called sort of the gig economy just exploding. And there's I've used uh, I don't think I've used Upwork. I've used Freelancer.com. I've used Fiverr. Use, yeah, you know, probably similar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them have
1: a lot of similar things. So the similarity is in this idea that the individual person is the unit that you're interacting with rather than like a giant company or institution. So in the you know job market analogy, rather than, okay, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, the stamp of approval by, you know, a certain college or university. Um, I'm looking for somebody to prove to me with their own track record, you know, what have you done? Um, and so in the on sort of the, the gig side, if you're doing things that are very small, low-risk transactions, like 50 bucks to do some audio editing or 100 bucks to do something, you're looking at basically who, who on this platform, Upwork or whatever, seems to have like the minimum qualifications. They've gotten a few good ratings in the past. It looks like they can do the job. If they don't do it well, I'm not, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not out that much. Um, and so they. there's often on those platforms, there's not a ton of incentive for the people who are listing their services to go really above and beyond to distinguish themselves and to showcase their ability in a more detailed way and to kind of help you know who's who's going to be the best quality worker because they tend to be smaller tasks that are fairly low risk uh the higher up you go if you're hiring somebody for a $10,000 design project to 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 revamp a website design for example then you're going to want to go to something like dribble or behance and see a profile of their design work that's fairly robust and gives you the chance to kind of peruse what they've done. And again, you're not going to care where they graduated from. You want to see the actual work that they can do and see the quality of it. If you're hiring someone for a coding job that's bigger than a really small thing, it's several thousand dollars, a one-off project or a full-time job, you're going to want to go to GitHub and you're going to want to see the code that they've actually written. What have they actually built? What have they committed? You know, software, um, you know, what experience do they have building things? You're not going to care so much about where they went to school. You're going to want to see what they've done. And so, what we're trying to do is take that same concept for people in like non technical careers or non design careers. Th- those are careers where it's pretty easy to prove your work, but to say, hey, what if you're kind of a generalist? And let's say you're a people person and you're not a coder. You know, you're like me, you're not a coder, you're not a designer. But you have some skills and you have so there's some jobs that you would find that would be, you know, you'd be good at. How do you demonstrate those? How do you create a body of work that can showcase that? And so If you're just doing freelance stuff, um, you don't necessarily need to show a super high level. But if you're trying to get somebody to take a bigger risk and say hire you full time or do a project that's several thousand or tens of thousands of dollars in cost, you're going to need to have a higher level of proof of your ability. And so we're kind of trying to take that to say, look, go go. If you want to do gigs and things like that, that's awesome. If you're trying to get somebody to give you a Ongoing paycheck at a, or a larger role, something that's higher risk for them, you're going to need a stronger profile, a stronger body of proof to show your ability. And we want to help you do that, especially for those non technical roles.
0: So, uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, technology has been something that has created, well, some people might have said it has destroyed a lot of jobs. Um, I mean, we look at uh, the efficiency. Uh, that's taken place maybe you know what was formerly produced uh in a factory maybe those factories have gone overseas uh for lower cost maybe they uh they don't need as many workers because of automation we now walk into fast food restaurants uh there's a lot of automation going on i've even been to places like an applebee's or something where the server's like, oh, here, you can just put your credit card in this little machine on your table. <laughs> and like, okay, so what were you doing here? Uh, so uh, anyway, so it's like, uh, anyway, you see a lot of uh, technology happening. And there's seems to me and a lot of people think, you know, there's a lot less need for, uh, for workers, uh, for actual people, human beings, because the computers are taken over. Um, but can technology? How can how can a young person make it more their friend uh, rather than their foe?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely a, a great question, and this is one of those things that I think it's so important to not be threatened by technology, but to look for the opportunity because it's there. It's humongous. And I think there's way more opportunity than there is threat. There's always some changes that people are you know things take time to adjust to, and you got to kind of figure out. How how opportunities change over time, but it is it's a massive influx in opportunity. So I like to um, use a phrase that uh, investor Mike Maples I've heard him say that you know I don't want a world in where people are afraid that robots are taking their jobs. I want a world in which everybody has their own personal Iron Man suit, and I, I like that, and I use that as kind of a metaphor that for starters, harness the power of technology as your Iron Man suit as as the the way that you interface with the world, the way that you have ownership over your personal brand and identity. that's like your, your, It's like a reputation management has achieved a new level because of the information technology we have today. So once upon a time, if you wanted me to hire you for something, you basically had to rely on some third party to validate you. Because if I didn't know you and you just came to me and said, you should hire me, I'm really smart, and I know how to do things, and I'm a good person, I'd be like, well, I don't know how to prove that. Is there something you can show me? Well, you know, uh, Harvard said that I was good enough to graduate, so you can trust Harvard if you can't trust me. Okay, well, they've been around for a couple hundred years. They have a good reputation. I guess I'll trust them, right? Or, oh, you know my parents. You can trust them, right? So, you had to rely on some third party, some larger institution to vouch for you what technology has done is it's put the power of owning your own brand, again, this being your own credential idea into the hands of every individual. So when you come to me and say, hey, I want to work for you, I say, well, what are your skills? What can you do? And you say, here you go. I can show you. I have a digital body of work that demonstrates everything that I can do and that I've done before and that I can do for you. And so, I mean, let's take this podcast alone. Francisco, your ability to say, hey, I'm a good communicator, and i'm I'm skillful uh, at making relationships with people you know uh, cold cold call sales. Uh, I can prove it here's this podcast that i've built I've gotten all these guests to come on I've built an audience over time. You can hear me conversing with people. All of that is technology enabling you to have a higher degree of control over showcasing your ability and your skills and creating something tangible, you know, once upon a time you would have had to have millions of dollars and access to all kinds of equipment and professional expertise just to do something like this podcast. But now you can do it with things that are basically in your pocket and you can take that into the world as your Iron Man suit. You can go out into the market and say, here are my superpowers, right? I'm harnessing all of this stuff. And that's just one small aspect of it. So I think looking for those opportunities, the more you know, the more simple tasks that are easily automated, that get automated, the more demand there is, not less, for things that are uniquely human, creative problem solving, innovation, and using technology to leverage those abilities, um, I think is just a really exciting thing.
0: Well, um, you're always uh, helping that next generation find their way in the market. And uh, congratulations to you uh, with the launch of Crash. And also, uh, you have a new book that's out, uh, and it's releasing, I think, this week. Uh, when is it?
1: Yeah, uh, April 24th, uh, Crash Your Career. It's a little pocketbook. It's real small. It's a slim little thing. It's kind of a fun, simple guide to these ideas. How can you take charge of your career and really be your own credential? What are some some tips and ideas on how to do that? So it's a great graduation gift. If you know people that are graduating high school or college. Uh, oh, you know, good go, timing. Go, Get a stack of them. So if you want to just go to crash.co, we'll have um we'll have some stuff about the book there. And uh you can pick up uh pick up a, a copy or a couple copies and give them away.
0: Okay, great. So we can go to crash.co. And for those that want to learn a little bit more about your previous venture praxis, tell us the website again.
1: Yeah, it's discoverpraxis.com. And it, it's a really it's like uh, the way I say it is like praxis is like the special forces. If you're ready and able and you get accepted do it. It will change your life. Crash is like, Hey, can we, can we like give you a weekend at the gun range? At least <laughs> if you can't handle the whole special forces training, or uh, you're just not in a place where that makes sense for you. Uh, we can take some of the tips and tools from that and, uh, and, and empower you with them.
0: So Isaac, I got two last questions for you, uh, before you leave. Uh, one is speaking of leaving, you're heading out here to the West coast for the summer.
1: Yes, uh, going out there with the wife and four kids, and uh, we're going to be doing kind of a startup accelerator program for for Crash. The Crash team will be out there. So, um, yeah, doing San Francisco for the summer is going to be pretty wild.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And then uh, another question I have for you is a question because you were the first guest. You didn't get this question, but somewhere around 10 or 15 episodes ago, I started asking, uh, a question I read uh, in Ben Sasse's book. He started. He likes to ask people what their first job was. And when I read that, I thought, "Well, I do a podcast with entrepreneurs. What better people to ask?" Uh, and so, what was your first job? And uh, you know, if you, there's any th- if there's any skills or, or, or any uh, things you learned that maybe uh, still are with you today, feel free to share that as well.
1: Oh man. I, okay, let me think here. I, I'm gonna have to just pick one. I don't know if it'll be the absolute first, because I, I did a lot of like, you know, lawn mowing, dog walking, and babysitting and all this stuff when I was young. But I think the first, like my brother and I had several paper routes. And so um we would go, you know, deliver papers to to these apartment complexes every day. And then Saturdays and Sundays, you have to go like really, really early in the morning and you go deliver them. And and back then you had to collect payment personally as well so that you couldn't like subscribe to a newspaper and just put in your payment info online or whatever like we actually had to physically go door to door to every subscribe everybody who got the newspaper I like, I,
0: I, wait hold on hold on for those that are listening we, we see this picture of you here and there's no way you were alive back <laughs> then to know you can't be that
1: old uh. I'm, I'm 35 i'm not i mean you know and i was young i was like 10 when i did this so i think I think I learned a lot of things, but I think one of them that's a really interesting takeaway for for all kinds of business is that you would think that a newspaper like the Kalamazoo Gazette—that's what I delivered, right? It's just the same newspaper; everybody gets the same thing. It's very commoditized. You you know, you would think the customers they either want the newspaper or they don't. And if you throw it through their window and make them mad, okay, maybe then you know they won't like you. But otherwise, it's all going to be the same. But that's not true at all. I found out in going around and doing collections once a month that people would pay their normal amount, but they would give you these tips. They give you like really large tips sometimes. And the experience of receiving a newspaper is a subjective experience and it's valued differently based on how I deliver it. So if I am always smiling and happy, not only do I hit the basics, I get it on time, I put it where they want it in their door or on their you know mail flag or whatever, but I'm kind if I ever encounter them. I'm polite when I come around to collect you know things. And The way that they experience me, the deliverer of the product, the way they experience me emotionally and psychologically is a huge factor in how much they value that product and therefore how much money I was able to earn. And I thought that was really interesting that I had a lot more control over my ability to earn tips and stuff, even doing something like a newspaper, where you don't expect it's not like being a waiter where you're talking to people and it's a highly conversational thing. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting thing that I took away at a young age.
0: Well, great. Well, I can see how it's definitely helped you. And uh, it, you know what's really funny? I, I mentioned Michael Gibson earlier. You know what his first job was?
1: That newspaper. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> which? Yeah he he was a, he was a paper boy as well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, which I thought was just ironic that I told him on the on the podcast. I said, wait. Your LinkedIn profile says you want to light the paper belt on fire. Maybe <laughs> this, maybe this started as a child. <laughs> What's going on? That could really-
1: be. I've got a. We've got a little video of me like shredding a resume and a paper shredder, and I'm always talking about like you know product over paper. Like burn your paper resume. I don't know. Maybe we newspaper boys are scarred for life.
0: Yeah, and you you were you were just um, old enough and just young enough to see the transition happening you know maybe uh aol was popping up or something you yep, know, yep. and giving you the news why do i need this paper the college scores are already online um so anyway but uh but that's just a, an interesting uh fact that i thought i'd share with you and uh anyway i just want to thank you for being back on uh four years later i want to i want four more years i'm asking the audience <laughs> here for four more years so we can have isaac back on again at some point and then uh And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, for those listening, um, helping us get to four more years would be great if you can write a review, uh, let us know what you thought about this episode and go, go into your iTunes, your Apple Podcast, write the review and, uh, and credential us if you will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, this will be, this will be like our, every four years, your inauguration will be having me come back to inaugurate you for another four year term of the podcast. So.
0: Well, maybe I'll be like George Washington and, 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 and just finish at two terms. Well, maybe I might go the FDR route <laughs> and just keep on going until I die. So.
1: <laughs> thanks anyway, so much, Francis. Thanks, for thanks so much,
0: Isaac, for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. You bet.
2: Just because we're broke don't mean we're baroque